Hello, lovely people. Happy Friday. My name is Jer, and welcome in to That Sounds Gay. I will be your podcast host for the next half hour or so. First off, I just want to say I'm sorry that today's podcast is a day late. I had some vocal issues yesterday, which I am still battling a little bit of today. And I am starting to get a little bit nervous about this happening so routinely. But I will be doing some things to work on myself and work on how much I'm talking and the volume and which I'm talking throughout the week. See if that changes anything for myself. But anyway, thank you all for being here and listening today. I want to just jump right into this. I want to be talking about a little bit of queer history and I'm, I'm planning on delving into these more in depth in the future. So this isn't going to be the only conversation that I have about this, but it's just going to be something really light and something, I don't know, not light, a, a very light uh, reading <laughs> of what's happened uh, in our, our history with parallels of things that are happening now. So I want to specifically be talking about monkeypox today. And I want to be very clear that I am not coming from a place of medical professionalism or anything. I'm specifically coming from a place of how this affects us as queer people. And if you're a queer person, then this is extremely important for you to be aware of in the narrative that's being spun right now in the media and has been over the last several months. This is extremely important and this is not something that we can just blindly turn our heads away from as uncomfortable as it is to talk about these things. It's extremely important for us to be vigilant right now. And if you're listening and you're an ally, this is something you really need to be aware of and be helping turn these narratives around because frankly, the dialogue that is happening is opening up people for violence and is going to continue to open up people for violence because unfortunately, history has a problem of repeating itself. But one of my favorite TV shows of a very long time, Battlestar Galactica, has a a really interesting way of phrasing it. And they say, all this has happened before and all this will happen again. And this has happened before to us. So I'm going to be talking about monkeypox as it sort of relates to the AIDS crisis of the 80s. And... I want to bring up a couple very specific points and I'm going to go ahead and just lay out my outline for y'all so you can kind of keep up with me. The idea that diseases and certain health crises are gay related is obviously not new. It's to perform an agenda by politicians who want to silence us, who want to stop us in our tracks, that as we progress, as we demand rights, as we demand equality, there are going to be people who are going to try and stop us. And, you know, that's the nature of progress. Nobody has ever gotten to anywhere easily. You know, no one's ever demanded rights and gotten it the next day. Look at the women's rights movement. Look at the black rights movement. Look at the queer rights movement. I mean, we're still experiencing people that are trying to stop us. The women's rights movement, the black movement 
are still experiencing turbulence along their way to get to true equality. And we're seeing that with Indigenous people as well right now who are starting to really rise up or in the last couple of years have really been rising up. And we're seeing a lot of a lot of quote unquote minority groups who really represent more of the majority than they think they do standing up and deciding that they've had enough. And I, I, this is not, again, something that we can just turn our, our heads towards and or against and ignore. And this public health crisis is doing exactly what the AIDS crisis did in the 80s. So I want to take us back in time for just a little bit. And again, this is going to be something I'm going to touch on more. But I'm going to take us all the way back to 1969. Nice. And I'm going to take us to the Stonewall Inn. And this was a essentially a bar where queer people were congregating. And the police were always causing trouble there. And one day, the patrons there decided they had enough. And they weren't going to handle it anymore. And the Stonewall Riots was a pivotal moment in the the queer rights movement and of the gay liberation movement. That was such a, a, a big point for us as queer people. And this moment sort of kicked off many different uh, moments in queer history that led us to where we're at now. And again, we'll talk about this in a future podcast. I want to really do a deep dive into the gay liberation movement. I want to do a really deep dive into Stonewall and people that were there. And this is something that I really care about, but I don't want to get, I don't want to get too, too deep into it. So we move into the seventies and queer people are demanding rights and that's when we start seeing the virus, HIV, popping up. And I have a couple of dates here that I'm looking at, and I've got a couple of screenshots, so bear with me as I sort of read. But <clears throat> it was originally identified as a gay disease because gay men were of the primary groups affected, HIV and the syndrome it causes. So with this, we know that now, HIV is not just something that gay men get or that queer people get. We know that this is something that affects a wide range of people. And I would argue that the amount of people even back then was probably pretty balanced as it is today with maybe more heterosexual people not testing or not being aware. I mean, we saw what happened with covid and we see what's happening right now is that people are so insistent that their rights cannot be in, be infringed upon, that they cannot be held responsible for their actions. We see this happening still because Americans have been through and through the same for generations. We just feel so imposed by anybody telling us how to live our lives. So if someone is feeling sick or ill and maybe not 
performing to the best of their ability, if they think that something will infringe upon them, they might just carry about their lives as normal and just press on and not care about it. So we saw this happen in the pandemic. I can only assume that this happened then too. But the other big piece here is that queer people were moving forward. Queer people were demanding rights. And what happened during the Black Lives Matter movement that happened over the summer of 2020. Black people were rising up and saying, we want this to stop. And what happened? More and more cops started implementing laws that they couldn't be, or, or, or sort of lobbying for laws that they couldn't be recorded while they're on the job, that they can't be held accountable for their actions, and that now there's all these gerrymandering laws that are coming into play that are going to be addressed with the Supreme Court. Anytime that a minority group tries to get a little bit of equality, the powers that be do what they can to stop them. And that's exactly what happened in the 80s, is that queer people were making strides and we were really making a difference And the powers that be saw an opportunity and labeled the disease as something that only gay people got. And as this went forward, and as diseases travel, because diseases don't discriminate the way that white people in power do, we started to see other groups having this. And in one case... In 1983, there was a situation that, oh, I'm so sorry, I read read this wrong. 1987, 1987, uh, there were three brothers in Florida who had all tested positive for HIV, and the school board was trying to ban them from being there, and a federal judge ruled that they couldn't do that, that they couldn't just ban them. Florida citizens responded with death threats, bomb threats, and school boycotts because this disease was so feared. It was so frightening that queer people were existing and demanding rights, and now they've infected children. And now other kids at the school are in danger because there are queers on the loose. And so citizens decided and took it upon their hands to raise threats against the school and these kids. And it got so bad to the point that this family had to move and go somewhere else. And we are seeing that exact situation happening now. There was an article that I just read a week ago about a few children who got exposed to monkeypox and the headliner on it was children may have been exposed to gay or bisexual men. And this is an extremely dangerous narrative. Because what's happened in the last couple of years? Well, the biggest things that stick out to me are that trans people have really been rising up. There's been a lot of trans violence. There's been so many trans women who have been coming forward and sharing their stories about 
how they've been attacked by police or mistreated by police or were harassed in a public space. And when someone came to take care of it, they got more harassment. And people's eyes are turned towards trans people right now. And what was the first thing that happened? The don't say gay bill. Don't talk about this. Don't bring up pronouns. And then more bills started cropping up. Very anti-trans rhetoric. So when a disease pops up, that is very easy to point at and say, look, this is a gay disease. Gay people get this. They're, look, it's even more reason to be afraid of them. First, they're saying that they want more rights. And then they do all these weird, creepy things in bathrooms and they're around kids. And look, and now they're infecting our kids with their, their gayness. These are the narratives that have haunted our community for decades. And we saw that happening in the 80s. We saw this happen where maybe public opinion was just strong enough towards one community, but all it takes is one voice. And one fear to kind of collectively bring everyone together. I had this friend who was in the military. Um, we were very good friends back in 2009, 2010. And he was kind of telling me that some of the training that they received was about how to create an enemy. And how you create that enemy is by dehumanizing them. By showing them in sort of bad positions and you make them out to be someone you should feel bad for because they're clearly doing things so wrong. And he was kind of walking me through how that affected the war in Iraq and the turmoil over there and the United States being involved in that. But that idea applies broadly. How do you create an enemy, especially in the United States, where everybody is so self-centered and focused on themselves, they don't care about their impact on other people? You create a situation where someone is bad, and they are doing something that infringes upon you. And Americans hate that. The Americans hate that more than anything is when someone else is going to stomp on their rights. You can't take away my rights because I'm American and you can't do that. Like, that's the that's the thing <laughs> that people here hate more than anything. So if you're trying really hard to create bills that seem uh, discriminatory towards a group, some people might care. Some people might not. They're, if it doesn't affect them they're not going to pay attention to it. A certain class of people in a state where, you know, they're saying don't talk about gay issues in, in elementary school. Don't bring up pronouns. A certain group of people are going to care very intensely because it affects them. Another group of people are going to care very intensely because it infringes upon their religion if they talk about gay issues or bring up neo-pronouns. And there's going to be a large group of people who just don't care. There's going to be people who don't have kids, people who don't have families, people who are neither here nor there about gay rights. They just want to live their life 
and don't really care either way. So how do you get that group of people to care? How do you get them to rally on your side? Because you need to make an enemy. You need to create, or the, the, the government, <laughs> the people in charge, the conservative movement wants to create an enemy because polls show that a lot of people are pro-gay rights or just don't care enough to say that we shouldn't have them. So you need to get that indecisive group if you are someone who doesn't like queer people, you need to get them to not like us somehow. So how do you do that? You infringe upon their rights. You infringe upon their freedom to move about. And the easiest thing to do that with is a disease. And that was what they did with AIDS, is that they painted it out so that you're around gay people, you're near gay people, they could give you AIDS by just being near them. This narrative was pervasive all the way in into my town in the 90s. I remember there was someone who came out in my high school and my mom said I had to stop being around him because I would get AIDS by just being near him. That him breathing on me would give me AIDS. And that is a disgusting, gross narrative that was used across the country. It created fear. It created terror. It created a sense of infringement and more importantly, it created an enemy. We as queer people, for the greater part of two decades, were enemy number one. We were the ones who were the loudest. We were saying, we want our rights. We want you to treat us normally. We want healthcare to deal with this crisis. We want someone to care and listen. And the government said, yeah, you get close to them. You're going to get this disease and it's going to kill you. Furthermore, anybody that has this disease... They're also probably messing around with gay people. It's, I saw Goody Proctor dancing with the devil. You know, we look back into the Salem witch trials, same situation. There was a fear about witchcraft. And if, if they created an enemy, people who may not have even cared, suddenly cared and didn't want to be associated with witches. And that's what it was in the 80s. And that's what's happening now is we're creating a narrative that queer people are responsible for monkeypox, and we know that's not the situation. What we know, if we're thinking realistically, is that, yes, gay men, queer people, are very, most, are very sexually liberated. And yes, there are many of, of queer people who care about monogamy and don't have sex with random people and don't do... The, the sexual liberation movement. They don't participate in that. But there's a large people, a large group of people who do. And that's okay. We shouldn't be shaming sex. <laughs> we absolutely shouldn't be doing that. And we're not going to do that in this house. But we know that that happens. And while, while monkeypox was sort of in its incubation period in the States and sort of spreading, was during Pride Month, where a lot of queer people were out very closely together and congregating. And you know what else is a consistent thing with queer people? Getting tested. If you see a random bump appear on your body that wasn't there the day before, and you know that you maybe slept with somebody over the weekend, or a week ago, a month ago, you're going to go get it checked out. It's a big part of our culture is testing. And that is great that we're so good about that. 
I have talked to many a straight person and have asked them, when was the last time you got tested? And I remember several of them said tested. What do you mean? Tested for HIV or, or any STDs, anything. And the majority of them that I talked to in my experience did not. And I would love to do an, a little deep dive into here about testing culture as well. But so many of them don't. And if we as queer people see a weird thing happen in our body, we're going to go get that tested. And I think that does play into it. Is that even if there were maybe heterosexual people who were getting it very severely as much as the queer community was, would they have maybe gotten tested? Would they have gone to the hospital and been like, I have this weird itchy bump. I don't really know what that's about. Or would they just be like, eh, it's probably an ingrown hair. It's probably not that big of a deal. But now that monkeypox is so big, the narrative is going to be, unless we turn this beat around immediately, it's going to be, oh no, I think I got monkeypox. Which gay person was I around? It's going to turn into witch hunts where in offices, people are going to be trying to figure out who the gay employee is who gave them monkeypox. There's going to be finger pointing. And when this gets to school opening season in just a couple of weeks, and kids are coming to school and super spreading monkeypox, the conversation is going to turn to which gay people were they around? Which is why it is so important right now that we be hypervigilant in calling these people out we're calling it a gay disease. We need to be calling out these news publishing organizations that are referencing gay people in conjunction with this disease because it is not in the same way that HIV is not a gay disease. The statistics show that a lot of queer people, more so than heterosexual people, get HIV. But again, is that because testing culture is so prevalent and we are more adamant about doing that because we have generational trauma and so we know to test, we know to keep ourselves in check, or is it because legitimately we're the ones that are getting it more? There are so many different factors, so many different arguments. I could go on all day about this, but the most important thing is what has happened before is happening again. And we need to be so hyper aware of this that this is the narrative that's being painted against our community. And I could I think I'm talking at nauseum here. But just be aware of this. And I want you all to know that it is okay to be angry or upset that this is happening, but we need to channel it in a direction. And I'm not one to talk about politics very much, but if you vote, make sure your vote counts. Make sure that you're encouraging your friends and your family to vote the right way because our rights are going to be in flux if we do not get this handled. Already in the fall, the Supreme Court is going to be looking at a case that could potentially affect our right to get married, our right to exist in spaces. It's going to open up a lot of violence towards us and we cannot be apathetic. We cannot turn a blind eye. We cannot not hold our peers accountable for their actions. And making sure that when people say, oh, I'm not voting, or, oh, I'm voting this way, 
that if it's going to infringe upon us, we need to be calling those people out because those people have to show their allyship right now. This is the shining moment where they have to show that. If they don't, they've placed where they are on this line. And I just hope so much that we end up on the right side of the tracks this time around, that we learned from the AIDS epidemic and that crisis. I hope we learned as queer people how to navigate through this next one. And I think from there, I'm going to go ahead and stop. This is a good stopping point. But thank you for listening. I know this was a little more pointed than what it has been, but this is extremely important. And I don't want to be like pressing a panic button and and telling you to panic because that's not what I want. I want you to be aware and I want you to keep your eyes open. Now is not a time to be closing our eyes or sleepwalking through this situation. Stay safe. Know you are very loved and you're doing a great job. Thank you for listening. Once again, I will talk to you next week. Bye.